0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time to study your word. We ask you to guide and lead and help us to understand what you would have us to see in this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made of, with hands, external in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with upon which our home house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mor- mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also has given us Given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, for that everyone may receive the things done in this body according to that which He has done, whether it be good or bad alright we're going to look at this <coughs> you look so sad over there <laughs> you, just up from <laughs> you just woke up you were running around earlier okay it says for we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle if were dissolved we have a building of God a house made not with hands eternal in heaven in verse 1 so, he's basically saying that if we die as Christians, we lose this earthly body, but we go to heaven and have a new body, a spiritual body. And for us, for when you're a Christian, that's our ultimate look. We're looking to, for heaven. And we're going to be told later on, this is not our home. We're just, we're just here, you know, temporarily. And this is why for, for Christians, we never feel at home in this world. It's, we're always looking for heaven. Uh, in Hebrews, it says that Abraham was not at home in this world. He was looking for a better place. He was wandering, looking for, you know, looking for heaven. And this is what Paul is saying here in this, is that you know, as Christians, we look forward to the day we die. We're not, we're not looking to, to make it happen tomorrow or the next day. We're not trying to make it happen. But we're looking to say, I'm looking forward to the day I'm done. I'm done with this world, and I step into heaven. Uh, And that's what he says in verse 2. For we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon which our house, which is from heaven. In other words, get our spiritual bodies. He says we groan for it. We desire it. We want it. We want to get out of this world with all the trials, all the tribulations. (coughs) And for us as Christians, we're looking to be moving forward. And... You know, even though we stand in Christ, we can enjoy this world. And I do enjoy this world. I enjoy ministering to people. I enjoy telling people about Christ. I look forward to the day when I (coughs) am not going to be here. And we look at this idea of being clothed. And this is Paul's topic quite frequently. In Galatians 3.27, I'll read it real quick so you don't have to try to go there. In Galatians 3.27, For as many as you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when we accept Jesus Christ, we put on Christ. We're clothed in Christ. We are no longer uh, naked spiritually for you know, practical purposes. Uh, in, in Isaiah, we're told that all our righteousness is filthy rags. So the best things I can do in front of God is like putting on a bunch of rags and standing before God. And we need to put on Christ. And this is why it's so important that we acknowledge that we're lost and, we, and need Christ. You know, and, and what he keeps going on is nothing I can do is going to please God. You know, God's not going to say, well, gee, you are just so good. I want you to come on into heaven. <laughs> he's going to look at us and say, well, you've done a lot of good things, but you're not perfect. And that's God's standard. And here he says we are to put on Christ, which is that heavenly clothing. Verse 3 says, if it so be clothed, we shall not be found naked. And this is what he's talking about, this idea of, Standing before God, how are we standing before God? Are we standing in our own righteousness, basically naked, filthy rags, or are we standing in the righteousness of Christ? And this is what he's saying. We're to stand there before before him in the righteousness of Christ. And this comes through our reliance on Jesus Christ and him coming in, dwelling in us. And the wonderful thing is when Christ dwells in us, he also clothes us spiritually. And we get into this great place where we just know we would we know we're right with God. There's no burden of sin. There's no <coughs> there's no problems. I'm not trying to depend on myself. And I have great freedom to come before God because he is the one that's clothed me. And he says, for that, in verse 4, for that in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we wish to be unclothed, but clothed upon by the mortality that should be swallowed up in life. And this life is Zoe life, real spiritual life. He says, we're not looking to get rid of this mortality to be unclothed. Now, there's people who believe in ghosts and spirits and all that other stuff. You know, they're going, well, that person's just here because they don't know where else to be. <laughs> they're, they've been unclothed. They have nothing. Well, there's no such thing as a spiritual person, un, a spiritual ghost. Uh, when you die, we go and stand before God. Straight forward with God and then we get judged for how we walk on this world as he's going to say later on. We're judged by in front of the bema seat of Christ for what we've done and the wonderful thing about this and for a Christian is we go to heaven because of the decision we make on this world for the lost person they go to hell because of the decision they spent they made on this world and we have a very short window that we live in to make a decision that's going to last for eternity and it's a critical decision that everybody has to make and this is what Paul's going on. How are we clothed? Are we clothed in righteousness, nakedness, in, in our own righteousness of rags? Are we clothed in Jesus Christ? And this is what he's trying to say. Christians groan for that. You know, we're, we're looking forward to the day Jesus comes back, where we die and go stand in front of him, And we're looking forward to it. I, I talk to many people and go, do you think you're going to go? Oh, well, I hope I'm good enough. Well, I can help you real quick. You're not. <laughs> you don't even know me. doesn't matter. <laughs> The Bible says you're not good enough in your, own, in your own. If you're trying to depend on yourself, you're not good enough to go to heaven. And here Paul's telling us that. Verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us the self-same thing is God, who has also given us the earnest of the Holy Spirit. God is the one that clothes us. And not only does he clothe us in the righteousness of Christ when we come to him, he gives us the earnest of the Holy Spirit. And earnest is down payment. If you buy a really big ticket item and you're trying to get your credit in line, all in line, you could give earnest money, which says, here's my $300, 400 $500, $1,000, whatever it might be. I'm going to come back and, and, and buy the, you know, finish this purchase. Mm-hmm. This is what God says. He gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us as the down payment for when he finally gives us the holy, our, our spiritual life, which will be when we are glorified and when we die. But until then, we get the Holy Spirit guiding us, leading us, directing us, teaching us. When we get ready to do something wrong, He's in there, He's at our ear whispering, Say, don't do this. You know, this, isn't for, this isn't the right thing to do. It's not the spiritual thing to do. He's, but the earnest, the power of the Spirit that we have is so precious. And it's a gift that God gives us, and most people do not recognize that gift. You know, I get to live. A victorious life because the Holy Spirit lives in me and I couldn't do it without him none of us can live a victorious life without God living in us saying this is the way walk in it or don't do this or do this and you know we need to learn to listen better all of us but it's something that he says here's here's that gift here is that gift I'm giving you I got a great promise to you in the future but here is the down payment telling you because I'm going to give you this fantastic gift this gift and but it's just the beginning and we need to understand that you know the Holy Spirit is great as he is I mean if the Holy Spirit was all that God gave me it would be a fantastic gift and yet it says the Holy Spirit is just the beginning there's so much more and because he gives me the little I can trust him to give me the lot you know he takes away the burden of my sin he takes away the guilt of my sin and gives me the holy spirit those two gifts alone are like wow god it's so wonderful i'm not burdened down by my sin i'm not burdened down by anything and he says here here this is this is just your beginning gift and i and i love the way he puts it the beginning gift there's so much more to come and then he says, verse 6, therefore, we are always confident. We have great confidence in God. Why? Knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from God. Okay. And this is something I look forward to the day that I get to walk with God in, in, in reality, not just in the spiritual realm and not just, you know, okay, God, talk to me. Okay, I think you said that. <laughs> You know, literally being able to hear God speak. Literally being able to walk with him, just as Adam and Eve walked with God. You know, in the very beginning, before they fell, they got to walk with God, talk with God every night. Yeah. And hang out with him. Yeah, just that's a good word. They just yeah, you know, hey God, how you doing? You know, yeah. And got, got to be instructed directly by God. And they traded that for the lie of Satan, saying, Hey, if you eat this fruit you'll be like God. And they traded everything they had for that terrible lie that they were going to be so much more important and have something they didn't have and they had everything that you could possibly want and they traded it away as, as nothing. And we're looking forward to the day that we shed this body and, and co- go to God and get to spend eternity with him, at least those are that are in Christ. And then there's verse in seven. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now this is a quote from the Old Testament. Habakkuk two, 7, uh, 2 verse four says, "The just shall live by faith." It's repeated again in Romans one seventeen, Galatians three eleven, and in Hebrews ten thirty eight. So there's five places where God says, "The just shall live by faith." And you know we look at this and say, "What exactly does it mean?" You know we walk by faith, not by sight, and this is. You know, too many times we make our decisions based on what we see. God, what should I do? Well, you know, and and the world will tell us, make your pro-con list. You know, this is the good, this is the bad. Whichever one has more on it, do. And a lot of times God says, well, no, I'm in this. So if I'm on one side of the equation, it's the best no matter how it looks. And this will go down to things like tithing, where you don't seem to have enough money, and you give 10% to God, and he says, I want you to give 10%. God, I can't live on 90%. Well, God says, I want you to give it to me. Uh, it goes into when when he says to do something right, to tell the truth, when when you know you're going to get into lots of trouble you know, by admitting that you've done something wrong, and God says, live, live by truth. He says, I want you to live in purity and not in... Fornication and adultery and you go god. I just don't know how I can do it And I hear a lot of that be be going well We just can't we can't get married and afford to live we, we've got to stay single so we get both of our our checks and God says This is what I want mm-hmm. and do we live according to the way God wants or we do? What is right according to what man says is best and we're starting to see it a lot with older people with their retirements you know, well, you know, if we get married, we lose this person's retirement, you know, half of this person's retirement. We just can't make it if we lose that. And the question is, are you going to follow God's way of doing it, trust in God, or do it man's way? And God will never bless man's way. You know, and this is something that's very important, you know, for a church. We want to do things God's way. And that doesn't always make us popular. <laughs> We take a stand on things and say, this is sin. Well, that's so narrow. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. God said his way is narrow. Well, that's not right. Well, God says it is. And this is where he's very persistent. We walk by faith, not by sight. It doesn't mean we walk over to a cliff and just walk right off a cliff. Okay? Faith is evidence of things unseen. It's God speaking to us. Sometimes it looks like we're walking off a cliff. But you know, if you're absolutely sure that God's saying to do it, it makes sense to do. If not, you don't do it. And we've got all kinds of books where missionaries have done crazy things because they knew they had to be someplace. I remember a story about a guy that had to drive through a South American jungle, and everybody told him, No, you can't drive at night because of the, 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 ba- the bandidos, they'll come and get you. you know, and he drove through. And then later on, about a week or two later, one of them came up to, you know, came out of the woods and go, who, were the, who was that army that was with you? He goes, I didn't have an army. I was by myself. He goes, Oh, no, you had a huge army. You know, God told him to be there. God protected him. Mm-hmm. Elijah one day has an army surrounding his house in the scriptures. His servant went to the door, and the, the army's out there saying, uh, We want Elijah now. And the, the servant's all worried. And Elijah just Open his eyes so that he'll see. And around that army was God's host. <laughs> around that army, and he goes, there's more, there's more out there. There's more out there for us. Jesus, standing before Pilate, Pilate says, are you going to answer me? I had the power to, to give you life or to, or to kill you. And Jesus says, you'd have no power if it wasn't given unto you. I could call ten legions of angels to deliver me if I wanted. Okay, the power and the understanding for us as Christians knows that God, if we're in his will, we're doing perfect Nothing can happen to me as long as God doesn't want it to happen to me. No matter what, no matter who's out to get me, it won't, nothing can happen to me unless God says he's, he desires it. That doesn't mean I won't die. There's hundreds and thousands of Christians who have died for their faith. Doesn't mean that I can't get hurt. Millions of Christians get hurt. It just means if God doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. I can go down to the meanest, roughest neighborhood, which aren't any here in this area, but you know, go to a big city, go to the meanest, roughest neighborhood if God wants me there, and nothing will happen because he wants me there. And I've been into some very bad neighborhoods in, in Boston and in New York and, and witnessing and telling people, and I wasn't afraid. Why? Because God said to be there. To be there. Yeah. Okay? Walking by faith. By sight, it was like, uh-uh, God, I'm not going into that community. God, I'm not going to go talk to these people. But God says, if I tell you to do it, go do it. Yeah. And because we walk by faith. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and ra- willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So he's saying, hey, we're, we're excited. If we, if we leave this body, we're to be present with God, mm-hmm. which gives us a great freedom. You know, when I was young, and, and I even say it today, but when I was young, I used to tell people, the worst thing you can do to me is almost kill me. Mm-hmm. If you kill me, I get to go to heaven. If you almost kill me, I have to suffer in pain. Yeah. You know, and this is what he's saying here. We have this confidence. You kill me, I just, go to, I just go, to go, go to the Father. And I get to be present with God. And there's great freedom and power in that when you say, wow, God, I trust you so much because you're living in me that I will go to heaven. The, the best thing they can do is send me to heaven. <laughs> they think they're hurting me. They think they're doing the ter- most terrible thing they can do to me, and they're giving me my greatest blessing. In, in Psalms, God says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? You know, to us, it's, it, ter- you know, from the flesh, we look at it and say, what an awful thing. I lost my life. Okay? And God's saying, no, if you're my child, you're in my presence. They just sent you home earlier than than you expected. And now if you're not one of his children, it's a terrible thing to die. If you're not one of God's children, you're going to end up in hell. And it's not a good thing. But as a Christian, we look at it and say, we are confident. This is the best thing that can happen to me for somebody to send me home. And this is what Paul's saying that gives us confidence, that gives us bravery that people look at and say, well, how can you be so calm about being in this bad place? How can you, how can you trust this? Because I trust God's word. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. If I, if I die, God glorifies me. He makes me who He says He is. He makes me perfect. If I don't, then I'm just trying to let Him live through me and, and get Rewards, and this is the good thing for us. We serve God, not to earn heaven. Okay, we're not going to ever earn heaven. That comes as a free gift of God. And this is what's important for us to understand. Too many people think I've got to do something to earn heaven. You know, I've got to what you know name whatever it is you think you've got to do. I I've got to I've got to quit drinking. I've got to quit using drugs. I've got to you know quit running around. I, I've got to you know, give all my money to God, you know, and God says, well, those all may be good things, but they're not going to earn heaven out of it. Heaven is a free gift by Jesus Christ. Now, we do get rewarded. If we start obeying God and we do things for the right reasons, we'll get a reward. And Jesus said, if we do it to be seen by men, we've got a reward. They were happy. They they rejoiced and they said, oh, look at that person, how wonderful they are. We've got a reward. If we're doing it to serve God, just to serve him, our reward is in heaven, which is an eternal reward, which I would rather have the eternal reward than the reward in this world. You know, man's fame goes by quickly. They like you today, and they don't like you tomorrow. You know, you do something that they don't like, and all of a sudden, every good thing you've ever done to them is not worth anything. But an eternal gift from God is going to be there for eternity. And again, he's saying we labor you know to get these rewards and verse 10 for all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that every man may receive of the things done in the body according to that he has done, whether good or bad. And this is where there's two judgments that are going to come in heaven one is the judgment seat of Christ, this is where Christians go, Christians go and stand before Jesus. And he looks at our life and basically it's described as taking all of our works, throwing it in an oven and seeing what comes out, okay? If, we've, if he has done things to our life, it's gold, silver, and precious stones and they come out of the oven with no problem. They've been purified, cleansed up. If it's things that we have done, it's wood, hay, and stubble, throws it in the oven, they burn up and they're gone. And he says, okay, here's your rewards. Thank, you, know, you get to have these for heaven. And again, if it's things that I do in my flesh, they burn up. They may be even good things. Okay, wood—you you, know—things that are made out of wood are pretty good. They're temporal; they last for a short time, but they're sturdy. That's—that's that's the helping of people in the in the soup kitchens and everything for the wrong reasons. Let me just let everybody see how good I am. See, I'm—I'm sure I'm helping. You—you know, you see this? You know? Hey, newspapers, you see this? Uh, hey, town, you see this? I'm—I'm I'm helping these people. That's wood. You're helping them. They're getting something out of it. It's going to be something good. It's wood and Jesus throws it in the fire and has no value of, in eternity. Now some of the things we do are just stubble. It's just total worthlessness and the wind will blow it away and he throws it in the fire and it, it catches fire instantly and is gone. But he works through us and we get blessed. The other judgment is for everybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will stand at the white throne judgment. And everybody standing at the white throne judgment is guilty of re- rejecting Jesus Christ. And they're gonna stand there and God's gonna show them every opportunity they heard to accept Jesus. And they're going to enter into hell knowing that they're there because they rejected God. And they rejected their free gift. And they're gonna look up and go, you know, they'll be ready to repent. And when they see God, everybody's gonna be ready to repent. Oh, I'll take Jesus now. Nope, too late. You know, we walk by faith, not by sight. And we, you know, once they see him, everybody's going to, you know, everybody will want to accept him then because they're going to be looking at the lake of fire on one side and heaven on the other side and going, oh, you know, I want to go there, but God's going to say, this is where you're going. You know, they're going to want to accept him, and it's too late. And this is why people will go, you know, well, you know, if I just saw, <laughs> you know, if I saw Jesus, I would, have, I would follow him. Well, out of the 12 disciples, Judas saw him every day and everybody thought he was a good disciple and he betrayed Jesus and went out and committed suicide and probably didn't ever accept Jesus. You know, people could see Jesus, literally see Jesus and still reject him. We have the word, we have the truth, and we need to accept Jesus Christ and say, God, you're the only way. You're the only way I'm going to make it to heaven and he will change our life. And, you know, we look at sometimes when somebody's been walking with God all their life and saying, well, gee, that person's just so good. And they're probably looking at themselves and saying, God, you know, I've got so much to get out of my life. And, you know, we do this. We try to judge each other, you know, judge ourselves by others. And usually we don't look at the good people, you know, because we want to look at the bad people, the people that we think are below us, <laughs> and think, well, I'm better than those. And God said, well, that's good. You, you are, but you're not as good as this person, but the one I'm judging you is by Jesus. You're not as good as Jesus. No matter how good you are, you're not good compared to Jesus. And because he's the ultimate, he's perfection. And God's standard is perfection. And if we're not perfect, we go to hell. And we all are not perfect. <laughs> you know, nobody, whoever you think is the best person you know, they're not perfect, no matter who that might be. You know, in all of history, no matter who you're looking at, there's nobody perfect. Now there's some pretty good people. I'm not saying there's not good people. There are some people that are very nice, they're very kind, that God, they've got so much of God in them that they're, you know, as far as humans concerned, they're pretty perfect in their outward appearance. But if you look down into their heart, their, their soul, and you see their temptations and what they think, they may not be acting on what they think, but their thoughts. Are just as, makes them just as guilty. Jesus says if we look on somebody with lust, we've committed adultery. If we're angry without reason, we've committed, we've committed murder in our heart. Now, the consequences aren't the same, okay? it's not. If I get angry and God says I've committed murder in my heart, it's not the same consequence as going out <laughs> and actually killing that person. So we, we don't want to take that so far say, well, if I've committed murder, I might as well <laughs> go do it because when you actually kill somebody, then you're guilty of death yourself. The thought just makes you guilty. <laughs> Okay, but you're not, the, the punishment for that crime is not <laughs> the same. But, you know, and this says, you know, we'll all appear before Christ to get our rewards for those who are Christians. And he's talking to a Christian church, so this is aimed at Christians, not non-Christians. Non-Christians aren't going to stand at the Bema of Seat of Christ. They stand at the white throne judgment. And the ones that don't believe in Jesus, they will be condemned for, not, for their lack of belief. Yeah. All right, verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we, pers- we persuaded men, but we were made manifest unto God, and I trust also were made manifest in your conscience. For we commended not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may be some have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we are beside ourselves, it is to God, and whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all are dead. And he that died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. All right, so here he's going into the gospel message. He goes, knowing therefore the terror, the awe, the fear of God. You know, not being terrorized, you know, I'm not afraid to go with God, but I look at him and say, God, you are, <laughs> you are precious, you are wonderful. It would be kind of like if we were to stand before the Queen of England or the King, the, the President of the United States, you know, there would be this idea of, I'm not going to run up to one of them and give him a great big hug and say, hey, buddy, you know, how are you doing? That's not the way we would approach them, and if we tried, we'd be stopped. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, God says, "I'm your father, and I love you. You can call me daddy." He says, "Call him Abba, Father." But we also have to hold him in respect. Okay? He's not our bud. He's not our. He's not our best. You know, best bud. He's. He's God, and he, We can love him. We can enjoy him. You know, just like you know, if you really honor your father or your mother, you're not. You know, you call him daddy. You know, you're, it's great. You're getting to But when it's time for discipline and for correction. You know that they're not your best buddy they're their mom or dad (laughs) and for me with my kids i try to i want to be friends with my kids when they were younger i was dad i was the one that disciplined i was the one that you know helped them get back on the path and there was some awe or terror not that i beat them or anything i did spank them occasionally or give them discipline but i wasn't trying to do this to hurt them i was trying to say i want you to walk the right path I want you to know how to make a godly decision. And we spend a lot of time learning about God, understanding. And he says, you know, we are manifest unto God. We, we are presented and showed to God that we might be presented to you. As Christians, we manifest God to other people. People look at us and sometimes they think, you know, well, you Christians are really strange. And we are to the world. <laughs> You know, why? Because we don't think like them, we don't act like them, we don't make our decisions the way they do. And they look at you and say, you guys are just weird, you're strange, you're, you're odd, I don't know what to do with you. And, but we represent something that's something different. I get asked several times, you know, each week at the prison, you know, why are you always in such a good mood, whether it's by staff or, or inmates? You know, and I go, it's because of God. I trust God he's he gives me blessings does that mean my life is perfect oh no not even close <laughs> uh, I've got all kinds of problems but I come I completely 100% believe that God is in control even though my whole life could be falling out from under me I know that God has a reason for it because I'm his child and he has promised that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose so for all of his children our bottom line hope is that there's something good. God has a good plan. Now, uh, my question maybe God, I don't understand this, God. I don't understand how it can be, but I trust your word. Your word is true. You have a plan. Now, if you're not his child, you don't have that confidence. You, know, you don't have the confidence that there's a good plan out there for you. You may just be in used to help somebody else have a good plan. But you know, if you're his child, there's a good plan. And Satan had to ask for permission to do anything, just Job tells us that, you know. know, God says, well, where have you been, Job? Well, uh, Satan, well, I've been wandering to and fro. And God says, well, did you consider Job? God pointed out Job. (laughs) And let Satan rip Job's life apart so that Job could learn some lessons. And then God blessed Job at the end of that. I can tell you in the middle of it, Job was looking at it saying, God, I don't understand any of this. It's, you know, I was rich, I was wealthy, I had friends, I had influence, now I have nothing. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm sitting here with all these sores on me and, the, and I'm sick and I'm scratching the sores with the pot shears and God, I just, you know, I don't know what you're doing. I, I kind of, he probably did kind of wish he was dead. Yeah, that's how bad he got. Yet he stayed faithful to God and God then rewarded him. And He taught him lots of things. Our trials and our tribulation is to teach us to depend on God. And sometimes that's not easy. God, I really don't understand why, you know, whatever it is happened to me. In Job's case, he lost everything, all of his wealth, overnight. You know, and if that wasn't enough, he lost his health. And then he has his wife saying, you know, why don't you just curse him and get it over with? (laughs) You know, and we don't know whether she was being kind. You know, she might have just been kind. Job, I don't want to see you in pain anymore. Just curse God and... (laughs) and let him strike you dead. You know, she might have been speaking out of love. She might have just been out of bitterness of her own heart. You know, God, you know I'm sorry, too. You know, I just lost all my stuff, too, Job. You know, you're the one that lost your health, but, you know, I lost my, I lost my nine kids, and we've lost all, the, all of our money. We've lost our home. You know, I'm hurting, too. You know, she apparently didn't lose her health like Job did, but, you know, sometimes she gets forgotten. <laughs> she kind of gets forgotten in the process that, you know, she lost everything, too and a lot of times women are more dependent on their things than men are so it was a bigger blow to her to lose you know yeah. nine nine children and all of her possessions instantly and not even a warning on it, it, yeah. just took it everything was taken he lost all of his animals his his house the house that his kids were, were were having their party on fell on him and killed all nine children in one in one in one time and he lost what would be equivalent to millions or billions of dollars in our, in our day in just a, two mess- a, four messengers coming and talking to him. Lost everything. She lost it too. It's not like she was separate over there saying, well, I got to keep all my stuff, Job. You know, she lost everything too. So she was speaking out of the bitterness of her heart to him. You know, Job, we might as well just get it over with. You know, God has, come, God has turned against us. Let's just curse God. And he said, foolish woman, will we accept good from God's hand and not evil? And so he had a very strong strong faith which protected her because she was ready to probably curse God also. You know. And, of course, her punishment was she had to have nine more children <laughs> afterwards. Nine more? Huh? Nine more? Nine more. And he got given twice of everything he had. So they lost nine, and they were given another nine. <laughs> so... Uh, so I, that was part of her curse. She had to give nine more children at, her, at an older age. Uh, but, you know, it says that God manifests to people through us. And if we see really strong Christians, we know. And we tell that person's a Christian they're different. We know they're not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to get angry. They're going to they're say or do things. But they stand out as somebody that's different. When the chips are down, they depend on God. You'll see that maybe not happy smile on their face, but their confidence and the joy that's in their heart because it comes from God. And that's what I think I have more than, when people say I'm happy all the time, I think it's more the joy they're seeing that God's in control. I'm I'm not really, I don't have to worry about things. Verse 12, for we commend not ourselves unto you, you, but give you an occasion to glory on our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them that, which glory and appearance and not in the heart. He says, you know, we're not commending ourselves. So we're not lifting ourselves up. And we've talked about this. You guys weren't here for this, but, you know, Corinth that Paul started the church there had problems with them. They didn't they didn't like the way he looked. They didn't like the way he spoke. They had other people they looked at and said, "You know, we really like this person. And you know, why can't they be our pastor? Why can't they be the one that starts?" And Paul saying, "Well, you know, we're honoring God. You know, you may not like the way we look, but we care for you. We're trying to teach you to be godly people. And this is what Paul, and we're doing this so that you'll be able to point to us and say, look at the one who raises us. And, you know, he's saying, you know, we're not great in our appearance, but, you know, look at our heart. And Paul, all through his writing, says, I love the churches. He said his greatest burden was the churches, okay? This is a man who keeps getting beat and stoned and shipwrecked and uh, ran out of town on, you know, on a rail, you know, and chased out of town. And he says, you know, all those problems are nothing. What I really care about are these churches that I started and how much the people are there and I care about them. And this is the sign of a good pastor. They care about their church. They care about the town that their church is in. They care about the people, whether they're going to church or not. They care that those people are going to hell. And this is what Paul's saying, you know, we're we're living this way so that you will honor God, that you will see God and, and try to follow up with God. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for God, for your cause. And sober means vigilant vigilant and, and uh, you know, he's saying, you know, we want to be vigilant. You know, we're, we're doing this all for you. Because Paul said another place, you know, hey, I'm torn between the idea. I want to I wanna go to heaven. I just want to get this over with. I've been beat, shipwrecked. Uh, I just want to go to heaven. But as long as I can minister, I want to be here ministering. And I know that feeling. Uh, I just assume, say, get rid of this world and go to heaven. But while people need the teaching that I can do and, and help, then I want to be here to, to teach. I want to be here to minister. I want to be here to lift people up. When that's done and I can't do it anymore, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be dragging on a life that doesn't have ministry added to it. That's what Paul's saying. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge if one man died for all, then all were dead. Okay? Jesus died for us. He's the one that died because we were all dead to begin with. you know, Human beings are born spiritually dead because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We come into this life, we have a body and soul, and our spirit is dead. When Jesus Christ comes to us and lives in us, he makes us a new creation. He gives us spiritual life. And now, all of a sudden, I can relate to God. I can start making some better decisions because I have a spirit. Now, my body and spirit are in contention all the time. My flesh wants to do evil. Okay. We are, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God, we all want to sin. When we're a Christian, we start getting the desire to serve God. Now, how do we how do we help those? A lot of it is depending on which one we're going to feed. Do I get into God's Word? Do I study? Do I get to try to know God feeding the Spirit? And by feeding the spirit, I will start doing better, better things and more godly things. Or am I putting the Bible away, putting the teacher away, and spending all my time in earthly things, TV, movies, you know, activities that are ungodly, feeding the flesh and making it stronger? And this is why God tells us the flesh needs to be crucified. You know, for I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I, my flesh is to be crucified, and then God lives through me and a true life. That, that word for life is Zoe life, spiritual, true life, when it's in the, in the Greek. And God says, I want to give you life, an abundant life, and a joyful life because you're following me. And we see this over and over people searching after the world never get fulfilled. Right. We get these millionaires they're chasing after money and they get all this money and everybody goes, Well they must be really happy. And then we read the next day that they've committed committed suicide or or they're or they're strung out on drugs or alcohol because they never did get happy. The money never never made it. The people who get famous, you know, wow, they got everything. Everybody loves them and adores them and they've got all this good, you know, publicity and you read Suicide, uh, drugs, uh, alcohol. They're not happy. They never found what they wanted. And, you know, we see this, you know, we're, we're having this ravage going on, you know, one point some billion dollar jackpot for the lottery. And people go, wow, if I could just have that, all my problems would be, would be over. No, your problems would only just be beginning. You'd have a new set of problems to have to deal with. And, you know, we've got to look at this. What will truly make us happy is being in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we have the opportunity to be happy. We've got the God of the universe that will give us anything we need, owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills and everything in the hills. You know, he'll meet all of our needs. He'll meet all of our desires, and he fills the empty vacuum in us, the vacuum that nothing in this world can fill. And I've watched people chasing after everything. You know, Solomon talks about that in Ecclesiastes. He chased after everything. He had the money to do it. He did, I built all these things. I have all these women. You know, he only had a thousand wives and concubines. He had more women than than anybody could ever want. He says, nope, it's not in women. It's not in these project you know, public projects I'm doing. It's not in the alcohol that I've consumed. It's not in whatever the drugs were at that time. It's it's you know, he did everything there was and had enough money to do it and said, Everything is vanity. Nothing has fulfilled his life. And he turned back to God and basically said, this is it. I have found what it is. And I believe me, I've, I've talked to people. Well, if I just had, I'd be happy. No, you won't. If I just had the, the big mansion, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If I just had the fancy car, I'd be happy. No, you won't. If I had the billion dollar jackpot, I'd be happy. No, you won't. You'd find some reason not to be happy because that is not going to do it. And this is what Paul's saying here. You know, it constrains us that we're all dead. And he that died for all, that they should live, henceforth, live unto them, not live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. Jesus lived and died, and our whole life is devoted to him. He fills us, he directs us, he gives us life. And when we have that life in Christ, it is wonderful. Before that, there's nothing, you know, you may be happy once. In a while. I'm not saying the lost world is always sad and, not, and never happy. They have moments of happiness. You get that brand new car, and it's really happy for a while. You get that brand new house, and it's, it's happy. You make the great big deal, and you've got a million dollars to spend. You're happy for a little while. But then you find out it just doesn't fulfill. And this is what God's saying. You know, I'm the one that's gonna fulfill you. Why? Because there's something bigger. There's the, the eternal. Verse 16. Wherefore, there, wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we are known, we have known Christ after the flesh. Yet now, henceforth, know, we, know, know he, we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God and hath reconciled, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, Be you reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here's more of the gospel. Verse 16. Henceforth we know no man after the flesh. Yea, we have known Jesus after the flesh, but we don't know him after the flesh anymore. This is important for Christians. When somebody becomes saved, they are a new creation, as he tells us next. They are brand new. They are walking in the Spirit of God. And the hardest thing for we as human beings is to ignore the person's past and let and see if it's going to be true that they are Christians. And when they've confessed their sins before God, their sins are gone and we need to again give them some freedom. Now that doesn't mean that they're a thief, we give them the keys to the church and say, hey, go ahead and go into the church anytime you want. But when they're saved, we go, okay, I'm." I'm gonna see if God is changing your life and that you're no longer the thief. I'm gonna see if you're a trustworthy person now. You've been you've been somebody who's lied every time you opened your mouth. You're now you're now a Christian. Let's see if now you can be honest. And we lift them up. It's hard. And church doesn't do it very well sometimes. When somebody becomes a Christian, they still look at them and say, well, you know, I know what you're, you know, I know what you are. No, you don't. You know them after the flesh. And God says, they're my child and I've I've made them perfect. Give them the chance. Give them grace. Again, does that mean you're gonna believe every word the person who's had a habit of lying says? No, but you're gonna give them, okay, God has made that change in them. I'm I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. Doesn't mean I'm gonna jump on everything they say, but I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt that God has changed them. Oh, this person's been, you know, a loose person. God's changed them, let's see. see. Does that mean they're never gonna fall? No, they're gonna fall. I fall, (laughs) everybody falls. We all fall in certain areas. And this is why we're not to know each other after the flesh. Christ lives in us. God sees us as perfect. Our job is to start looking at each other and saying, hey, you're doing a good job. You're growing. You're you're getting better. There are so many people in our church that I look at them and say, they're not there yet, but man, are they different now than they were six years ago. They have grown, look at this person. This person used to be totally dishonest, now I can believe most of what they say. This person hardly ever came to church, now they're here all the time. This person, wow, look at at how much they love God. When we look and say, wow, this is where they're at. Are they perfect? No, but I'm not perfect, I've only been doing it for 48 years and I'm not perfect, how can I expect anybody else to be? And I'm just getting started at it. (laughs) And this is what he's saying, we know no man after the flesh because they are new. They are verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ he is a new creation. This means new never-before-seen creation. They've got a spirit in them. They are new. They have the opportunity now to live the way God wants them to live. Will they do it perfectly? Absolutely not. Will they do it fairly good? Sometimes. (laughs) But they're gonna struggle. All of us are gonna struggle and again the biggest part of the struggle is what do we feed? Do we get into God's word? Do we study God's word? Do we, do we get with other Christians and say, you know, I just don't understand this. Can you help me understand it? Or do we sit down and, and vegetate in front of a television for, for 12 hours a day and say, God I, I, God, I don't see you working me. And he goes, of course I won't. I'm not working through the television. I work through my word. And not saying the television is all bad. I don't think there's anything good on television, but you know it's not all bad. To be entertained once in a while is not a bad thing necessarily. But am I in His Word? Am I studying? I've heard some people tell, "Well, I don't have time to study." Okay. Well, how long did you watch TV last night? Well, just three hours. Uh, you couldn't have taken one or two of those hours and and studied. Thirty minutes, one, one 30 thirty-minute show, and studied God's Word. Well, you know, the very important shows. I I can't lose track of what's going on. Uh, No, we are a new creation in Christ. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Christ Jesus and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation, to be made one with God, to be reconciled. He says, I don't see your sin anymore. I see you as perfect. And this is what is important. God takes somebody that becomes his child and says, this person is perfect. That's his recommendation on us. And my favorite verse is in Zechariah where the high priest stands before God, Satan's standing there next to him, he's dressed in filthy clothes. Satan's getting ready to accuse the high priest and God basically says, one moment. Angels change, get rid of these dirty clothes and put new clothes on him. You know, put a new ha- you know, put a new miter on him, put new clothes on. Then he turns to Satan, okay, what's your problem? You know, he looks over and the guy that he was getting ready to say, you know, this is your servant. Look how badly dressed he is. Is all perfectly dressed. That's how God is with us as Christians. He takes our rags off, puts Jesus Christ on and turns to Satan, okay, what's your problem with my child over here? And Satan is tongue-tied because it's like he has nothing. Well, you know, you just took you, God. You took all the stuff away from them. I have they, look at all the bad stuff you took away. And God says, "All I see is this perfect, perfectly dressed child." Mm-hmm. And Satan loses all of his accusation because God sees us totally different. And we as Christians need to get better at being able to look at each other through spiritual eyes. And it's hard. I mean, we we walk by sight, not by <laughs> not by face, so often. And we go, God, you know. I keep trusting that person and they keep messing up and God says, yeah, so do you. Keep keep loving them. Keep giving them grace. Keep giving them mercy. Keep giving them the trial because they're my child. I see them totally different than you are. I, I know what I'm going to do to them in the end. Just keep building them up, edifying. And I try hard to build people up and edify. I don't want to tear people down. I want to make sure people understand God loves them. The most valuable thing we have is that God loves us. God loves the world. Whether they're his children or not, he loves the world. Jesus died for the world. And when we've accepted Jesus Christ, he really loves us and he expects the church and the other Christians to love those people. And not say, well, you know, when they've proved themselves, when they've been good enough, we'll accept them. No, we want to accept them and say, God, you said to accept them, I'm going to accept them. Are they gonna mess up? Of course, I mess up. Are they gonna have a hard time learning to walk with God? Of course. When, when I was first Christian, I didn't get up and run around with Christ all the time, you know, as much as I do now. You know, we don't expect our children to do it. You know, we don't have this baby that's three days old and say, get up and run, you know, get up there and sit at the table and eat. <laughs> you know, we are patient with the child, and yet so many times with new Christians we have this idea that they're supposed to be perfect and, and do everything right from the moment that they become a Christian. Not going to happen. They're a baby. They need to be raised just as any baby would. And, and nurtured. Now, if they were still a baby after 20 or 30 years, we've got a bigger problem. Okay, just as that baby, if you had some baby that, you know, and the, the, the individual's 30 years old and still crawling around in diapers and needing to be uh, bottle-fed and burped and, you know, and, you know, you've got a problem. And <laughs> you know, there's many Christians that are 30-year-old babies. We need to have this idea that, God, I want you to really reach out and touch this person. Help me learn to love these individuals. And some of them are very hard to love. (laughs) All of us are hard to love in some area of our life. And God says, lift them up. And it says, for in all things, verse 18, are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Our job as Christians is to help bring people into reconciliation, to help them understand who God is. Because we don't know who he is at first. All we know, and and even for many people and Christians, they they picture God as some big meanie with a big baseball bat waiting to hit us over the head if we do anything wrong. And yes, God's gonna discipline, but his purpose is to make us get better. That's what discipline is about. Discipline hurts, don't get me wrong, discipline hurts, and it's supposed to hurt. Because it's supposed to hurt enough that I don't wanna do it again. You know, the spanking we give our kid is not because we enjoy causing pain to our kid, it's because I want you to associate pain with bad decisions. I want you to to associate the loss of your privileges with disobedience. And so we take away something, we institute something that's going to cause pain so that the next time they get ready to do that, they're going, you know, last time I did this, this happened and I didn't like it. I don't think I'm going to do it this time. And God does that with us. He puts pain in our lives so that we say, you know what, I did this and I got hurt. I don't think I wanna do it again. And God knows how to make that pain hurt. (laughs) And whatever it might be, um, he knows how to make it. And then he goes, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, we're to help one another. Not criticize somebody and kick them when they're down. We're to lift them back up and say, are you ready now to follow God? Can we help, What, what can we do to help you in your walk with God and it may not be physical help it may just be spiritual help you know do you need help do, you, do we need to help you make decisions can we can we get into the word can we do a Bible study can we can we show you how to think with God and make better decisions you know, let, me, let me help you in whatever way I can and this is what we do for it and it says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world into himself not imputing their trespass unto them and hath committed to us the word of reconciliation Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins so that we did not have to die and go to hell. And he says he did not impute, which means write, off, write our trespasses against us, but he gives us reconciliation. He says, I've done this so you can be one with God. And as we say so often, the problem that we have is we're going to stand before God, and it's not a whole bunch of sins that God piles down on us when he says, okay, you're going to hell. It's what did you do with Jesus. You accepted him and you went to heaven or you rejected him and you go to hell. Real simple. Jesus is holding out a gift. Do you want to take this gift? And if we say no, he says, okay, fine. You didn't want it? You spend eternity without me. You did take it? Oh, here you are. And this is what's so, un- so wonderful. He says, now we are ambassadors for Christ as through God did beseech you through us. We prayed to you in Christ's dead that you be reconciled. Ambassador, somebody who stands for a government. You know, we, we talk about it, we hear in the news so often, you know, we send ambassadors from our country to other countries. They represent America to those countries. We represent God to the world. And we are the ones that sometimes we're good ambassadors, sometimes we're bad ambassadors. But the world looks at it and says, okay, that person's supposed to be from God's kingdom, are they representing God? Well, don't know. And we all know Christians, we look at it and say, well, I don't know if that person is a good representative of God or not. And we also have people that we know that go, now, I don't know about them, but they seem to be very different. They they are not following the same rules that I am. They're not following the same same things I'm following. They're, they've got a different way of thinking. And if you travel around the world at all, you find out people have a different way of thinking in different parts of the world. And uh, so we see this going on. In the last verse... For we have made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin. He took our sin upon his body and he did not know it so that we could be the righteousness of Christ. And he takes God's Christ's righteousness and we accept that gift and he puts God's righteousness on us. And that's when God looks at us. God the Father looks and says, Oh, look at that. That's my son down there. You know, doesn't see past his son to what we are. All he says is, That's my child. That's my child. They're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. They're perfect. No, we're not perfect. We know we're not perfect, but God says, That's my child. They're perfect. And that's how he sees us. And we as Christians should be seeing one another in that same light. You know, if we started seeing each other the way God sees us, the church would be totally different. You know, n- not saying that we're going to say that everything a person does is okay. You know, I am never, and people know me, you know, I will not say that their sin is okay. But I'm going to say God is forgiving. He's going he's to teach us to walk, ar- you know, beyond our sin. When we make mistakes, he's, he, we will live with those mistakes and there will be punishment for those mistakes. But... I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give them the exhortation. I'm going to say, God, look at this person. They're trying. They're trying, God. I'm going to give them as much love as I can. I'll give them as much trust as I can because of where they're at. But will I say what they're doing is right when it's wrong? Nope. When, When somebody's living in adultery or fornication or homosexuality, I'm going to call it a sin. If they're living in drunkenness and lasciviousness, I'm going to call it a sin. Am I going to judge them and say, get out of the church? No not unless they're trying to make others join them in their sin, but you know, I want people to come and see God loves them. And I want to be the type of person that loves them as much as possible and be able to tell them, you know, your lifestyle is sinful, but I'm still going to love them and say, you've got to turn it around. You've got to come to Christ so he can turn you around. I mean, it's not even us turning it around. It's Christ living in us, changing us. And that's the wonderful thing about Christianity. He changes us, and we're not trying to discipline the flesh and put it under control. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the fact that you do make us a new creation, that you've given us a ministry to love you, and that to be absent from this body is to be present with you. And if we're in Christ, that means eternal life. If we're not in Christ, it means judgment. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.